0: Forest City Church, anyone and he everyone. So we have been on this journey together as a church in Luke and Acts. We've been in Luke lately. Um, and so we've been journeying as a church through some chapters and then uh, on Sunday and then as a church community through some chapters during the week. And last week, I think some of us read uh, Luke 2. Um, let me see if you're participating and reading on your own, sharing with some folks. I love it. You know what? It may, it may seem like a small thing to um, kind of participate in a reading plan together, but I think it's a really big deal because church isn't just what happens here on Sunday, but it is the opportunity for us to just posture our hearts as individuals towards the Lord and to posture our communal heart as a church towards Him. And I think the goal of this is not to do another thing or to check off another box, but the goal of this is to enter in together, to enter into the word together, to meet with Jesus, to hear from him, and then to journey through scripture as a church in a way that connects us as a community outside of Sunday morning. And I think as we posture ourselves that way, that God's going to do something new in our relationships and our conversations and how we view him and how we view what we do together, and that's really going to mark us as as a campus in the season. So please participate with us. There's more going on than just, you know, reading a chapter, but I believe God is going to be moving and he already has been in this space. I would love for you just to take that step of like kind of feeling maybe vulnerable and just find somebody to share a thought with. You don't have to be a Bible scholar and you don't have to know everything about the scripture, but just somebody to to talk about it with, to share some questions, to share even some some doubts or some uncertainties, to share um, something that you learned or something that touched your heart. I think there's just such beauty in doing that in relationship together, and it's an opportunity to stay connected as a campus. So can we do that together? Do we feel good? We understand the assignment? Yes? All right, I can't wait to hear about what God does. So Luke three for this week, and um, I'll kind of give you a reminder at the end of the service as well. But for this morning we're going to be reading out of Luke 5. And we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what what it means to journey with him over a lifetime. And I think this is so important for us as a church because it's not about um, just being a disciple, you know, in the context of Bible times. Um, being a disciple of Jesus is something that we are all called to right now in this season and in this time. And it's something that's an open invitation for all of us. And so today we're looking at uh, Luke 5 when Jesus calls his first disciples. And it's really about that yes to Jesus. And so we're going to look at that yes that those first disciples give to Jesus and reflecting on our own yes to him. So if you could turn with me to Luke 5 in your Bibles, we are going to read um, verses 1 through 11. And it says, Luke 5, verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of the boats and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put uh, into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will drive down the nets. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So I think when we think about saying yes to Jesus, when we think about following him, we think a lot about ourselves. We think a lot about what this looks like for us, what we need to do to be able to, to do that, what we need to stack up, the, the plan we have to follow, or what's in our control. But when we think about following Jesus and discipleship, I'd love to just first focus on Jesus and look at who he is, how he set the scene, what he did. And I think that tells us so much about what it means to follow him. And so when we see Jesus at at this point in the story, he already has a substantial following. He has a platform, he is going around teaching and preaching, he is healing people, and there are a significant amount of people following him. That's why when he came um, to this area to the sea, he got into the boat so he could kind of preach out from the crowds and and in the boat and be able to preach to to the masses. So word of Jesus had been spreading. He had a platform, he had had followers, he he had people who are following him. And he comes to this place with the crowds kind of in tow. And the first thing he does is he separates himself from the crowd. If you think about it, it would have been really logical and even strategic for Jesus to call his first disciples from the crowd of people who were already following him. From the crowd of people who had bought into his message who were who were there, it would have been very easy to call however many people out of the crowd. It could have happened in an instant. But that's not what Jesus did. He separated himself from the crowd and he went and he got close to the everyday common person. The, the fishermen were just, they were just regular guys. They were everyday people and there was nothing chosen about them. There was nothing special about them. There was nothing qualified about them. There was nothing unique. But what we see is that Jesus separates himself from the crowd and he gets close proximity to, to the one. It's about relationship. It's about getting on their level. It's about getting into their world. It's almost as if you know you think about talking to to a, a child where you kind of get down on it a little bit and get at their level and look him in the eye and and you get into their world before you speak with them. That's what Jesus did. He didn't use the masses, he didn't use the crowd to further his ministry. He used relationship with the one. With the with the one who was unqualified, with the one who was unexpected. And that's the first thing he does. You see, we can't follow Jesus without proximity to Him. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible to follow Jesus without that without that proximity. And I think sometimes when we approach discipleship and we approach following Jesus, we think it's our job to bridge the gap. It's our job to be good enough. It's our job to do the right things. It's our job to be moral enough. It's our job to set ourselves up. It's our job to achieve a certain status. And that, when we are, when we are good enough, when we are performing enough, when we are succeeding enough, when we put enough in, that's what's going to get us to Jesus. And from the beginning, Jesus says, I'm going to come find you. I'm going to separate myself from the crowd I'm going to have my eye on you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to get into your boat and step into your world and make it all about my relationship with you. And so I don't know um, all the stories that are represented in this room. I don't even know what everybody's week was like. I don't know when you're coming in here this morning if you feel close to Jesus, if you feel close to your yes to him, but you may feel far away. You may feel distant. You may feel that there's a gap between you and your yes to Jesus. You may feel there's a a gap between who you think you need to be to follow him and who you feel you are today. You may be here today and you feel overlooked and misunderstood and, and hidden and not seen. And you may be thinking, what do I need to do to get to Jesus? And I'm just here to tell you this morning that Jesus is coming for you. That he has done everything he could do, everything he needs to you, so that there is no way you have to close the gap. He has already closed it. And he wants to come into your boat and come into your world and get down to your level and pursue you. You are the one he has his eye on. You are the one that he is choosing. You are the one that he is extending his invitation to. And there is nothing that you need to do to make it happen except just to respond. So I want us just to know this morning, before we even talk about our yes to Jesus, we need to know who Jesus is first, and who he is to us, and what he's already doing. And that proximity to Jesus is not on you, it's already here. He is present. When we talk about making room for Jesus, he is here. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to pursue you. And I need that to, you need to know that in your heart this morning, before we can talk about any more of the story. Jesus is pursuing you. Let's jump back in. All right. So, so Jesus gets into the boat, and he says to Simon Peter, he says, put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Basically, throw your nets back in. Let's try one more time. And I want to talk about this. So we talked about Jesus and I want to kind of talk about this event. This is a significant event. We will call this a miracle because what happens next um, is, is a really big deal when it comes to our yes to Jesus. And I want to kind of break down this scene because I think we got to get ourselves there. We got to put ourselves in the story and kind of envision what's happening. So these are fishermen and they, they are the experts on fishing. And I had to do some research on best fisherman practices for the, for the Bible times. I did not, I did not know. Um, but basically, they have been up all night. They have been They are tired, they are dirty, they are hungry, and they are defeated. Like they've been up all night and they have empty net after empty net after empty net. And now it's morning. And they're like, the text says they're out of their boats and they're like cleaning their nets and they're ready to go home. And this rabbi comes, who's kind of famous at this point, and he asked to use their boat. So now they also have to sit through like a teaching or a preaching, which you all know how that feels, right? Before they get to go home. And they're probably just like, we just want to go and sleep this off and try again tomorrow. And so Jesus comes and he, uh, he teaches and preaches. And then he looks at the fishermen and he basically says, hey, try one more catch. Put your nets in one more time and let's see what happens. And now if you know about fishing, which I do sort of now that I've done some research, um, this is just totally illogical. Like Jesus is the rabbi and the fishermen are the fishermen and this is not like best practices for fishermen. Because what we know is that uh, the fish would have been closest to the surface all through the night. And then when it's dark, they go low, low, deep into the water and the nets are too heavy to be able to get down and really have a catch. So so the fishermen know, like, if we haven't gotten anything all night, hey, sorry, rabbi, but, like, this isn't going to work, okay? Like, I I don't know, like, what you think you're talking about, but this is just, this isn't how we do things over here in this boat, right? And I don't know if you have ever had the experience of somebody coming into your world and your lane and trying to tell you how to operate. I'm not sure if anybody's had that in this room. I know that at home, uh, my husband, Stephen, and I have a very sort of like, we have lanes for how the evening routine goes at home. And after dinner, Stephen, my husband, his lane is cleanup and dishes and the dishwasher. And my lane is bedtime routine with our daughter. So bringing things down for the night, right? Like, Like bringing some peace back. And from experience, I know that if I try to get into my husband's dishwashing, cleanup lane, I am not welcome there, right? That is his lane. He knows the best practices for how we do the dishes, how we stack the dishwasher, what time we do the dishes, when, at what point of the night. I know from experience that that is his lane. He's got that. He does not need my help or my insight in that lane. And for my lane, it will be equally true, that if he wants to come in and rile up my daughter, just as we're about to go to sleep, he is not welcome in my bedtime lane, right? Somebody hears me this morning, come on, it doesn't have to be dishes or bedtime, but we know, we, especially when it's our spouse coming in and telling us how to do things, we may not really receive the input they have to give us when we know what's happening in our lane and i just think that's very similar and maybe it's maybe it's at work maybe it's at home maybe i don't know maybe you're even a teenage kid and you're like mom i know what i'm doing i got this okay like we a lot of us can relate to this but but i think i think it's so interesting to to really understand the rea- the reality of that dynamic of jesus the rabbi telling the fishermen what to do and peter kind of says like hey hey master hey rabbi like We already did this all night long, that this is not how how it's gonna go. And then and Jesus says, try again. And he says, at your word. And so they, they listen to Jesus. They throw the nets over the other side. And as they pull them out of the water, they are like exploding with fish, overflowing with fish, like so much they can't even heave the nets back into the boat. And when they finally get them into the boat, the fish are just flooding the deck. And then they have to ask the, they like partner fishermen for the other boat, like, come help us. We can't, we can't even receive all these fish. The nets are bursting. The fish are overflowing. the, the says the boats start to sink like there are so many fish there is so much abundance from where where there was nothing and in that moment in all the chaos and surprise and astonishment of all those fishermen in that moment what does Peter do he falls down on his knees now think about this think about they are on a boat that is so full of fish that it's sinking and Peter just falls on his knees in the, middle, in the middle of that chaos and he just, he looks at Jesus and he sees him as Lord. He doesn't see him as just a rabbi. He sees him as this force that just demonstrated his power and his authority in Peter's world and it changed everything. And he looks at him and he he recognizes him as Lord. And he uses this, this language that is used throughout scripture to sort of signify the holiness of God, the glory of God. He recognized Jesus for his power and authority for the first time. Because he saw Jesus demonstrate his authority in a way he could understand, in a way that he could relate to, and in a way that was relevant to his world. I think... It just it's just so beautiful to think about how this moment actually played out and to think about how this really changed Peter. It changed the trajectory of his whole entire life. It changed his choices, it changed his future, it, it changed everything about him. The text even says that he before he was referenced as Simon, and and after this story, he's he's referenced as Peter. There was a marked change in him because of who God is and what he was doing. And that became so real in in Peter's world. I think sometimes we want discipleship to be about a formula. We want following Jesus to be something that we feel safe in, that we can say A, B, and C equals D, that we can say um, if I put this in, I'll get this out of it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Your yes isn't about what you do or what you achieve or what you set up or what you put in. Your yes is based on who I am and what I am doing. And I'm going to demonstrate my power in your world and in your life in a way that will change you, in a way that will free you, in a way that will make you recognize that there is so much more going on here than your circumstance, than your defeat, than your disappointment, than your failure, than your up all night with nothing to prove for it. There is so much more happening here. And I, Jesus, have the opportunity to change it in an instant. I, I have this way where I can bring something from nothing. I can bring empty nets into abundance. And it's not about your circumstances. It is about, it's about the Lord and his power and what he is able to do. Jesus says, um, he's, he says in response, after, after Peter sort of declares the holiness of God, the glory of God, like, like I have to be separate from you, Jesus, because I, I see who you are in your glory and I recognize who I am and I have to separate myself. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he asks him to follow him. And that same don't be afraid Um, line the, the type of wording and language that Jesus used is the same as the the same do not afraid that the angels who were announcing the birth of Jesus announced to the shepherds and I love that so much because I think it says something about the more that's happening here that when Jesus gives us an invitation to say yes to him It is not just an invitation to to just be in our own world. It is an invitation to be a part of the kingdom. Because when we think about who God is and what he does, it has to do with his kingdom story. And there is something that he is calling you to, that he is asking you to do, that only you can do. And it's so important that if you don't do it, he's going to have to find someone else to get it done. Because there is an invitation to all of us to participate in ushering in the kingdom and ushering in the way of heaven and ushering in in a new kingdom, the kingdom values that we talk about. And Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. I am here. My presence is here. And with me comes a new way of life. With me comes healing. With me comes freedom. With me comes restoration. With me comes reconciliation. With me there is no power, there is no entity that I cannot have victory over. With me comes the breaking of bounds, the breaking of oppression, the breaking of systems we can't fix. With me comes a new repairing and a new life and a new world, and by me asking you to follow me, I am inviting you into, to be part of the new kingdom. Don't be afraid. We got this. We're good. I'm here, and I am bringing something new. Do you know that this morning, church? Do you know that Jesus is bringing something new? And you get to be a part of it. And so don't, I just want to say, our circumstances, our defeat, our failure, all the stuff that can bring us down, all the stuff that can feel like our world and our view, it isn't the end of the story. Until Jesus arrives on the scene, something new happens. And Jesus and the kingdom is full of abundance. And that abundance is for you. And so we don't think about our yes. We don't think about discipleship based on our circumstances or ourselves. We think about it on God and who we know God to be and what he know he will do. What we know he can do. And that's what we get to put our yes into. And so now I want to talk about the response of Peter. So we have this, we have Jesus. He separates from the crowd. He pursues these unlikely fishermen. We have this this miracle that happens that everybody can see that other fishermen have witnessed. We have this moment that just forever changes Peter. And we see what Peter did. When Jesus said, come follow me, he left everything and he followed him. It it changed everything. It changed him from the inside, and it changed everything about his life. Now these fishermen, yes, they were like kind of unlikely, unlikely people to follow Jesus, but but they definitely like had some things to leave. Okay, like they had homes, they had possessions, um, they had a job, a reputation, they had a community. It was crazy for them just to drop everything and follow Jesus. Um, especially in the, in the culture of, of those times, it was very much based on family and, and clans. And, and, and so to, to leave your family and follow some rabbi that you don't even know is a really big deal. Not to mention that the amount of fish that they just brought in means a big old, um, big old bag of money that's coming that way for those fishermen. I mean, that probably was going to set them up for who knows how long. And somebody's going to benefit off of that. Look at all those fish. I mean, that's, that's a bunch of dollar signs for them. And they left that and walked away. And there was someone else who benefited from that yes. You see, the yes that we have, there is a cost. There are going to be some things that we have to say no to so we can say yes to Jesus, there are going to be some things that we have to let go of or lay down or leave behind so we can say yes to Jesus. But I think even just the beauty of this small detail of the resources that this fish haul represented is that even um, in our yes to Jesus, I mean, we don't know who's going to be blessed or benefit from when we say yes because there was somebody that benefited from all those fish and it was because these other fishermen said yes to him. Discipleship is about our yes. Following Jesus is about our yes amidst the cost, amidst the things that we have to leave behind, amidst the stuff that doesn't make sense, amidst the things that we have to say no to so that we can say yes to him. It is a lifetime of yes after yes after yes after yes. And this just caused me to really reflect on my own journey of yes to Jesus. And I can definitely... You know, just go back into my, my past and my history and see those different marked moments of, of saying yes to the Lord and different things and of what I had to say no to so that I could say yes to him. Um, I think of when I was in my 20s and I graduated um, in West Michigan from a small liberal arts college. And, you know, people went there to study and get a degree, but then a lot of people went there too to just leave college with an engagement ring. I'm just going to be honest. And so, and so I had always just had a vision for myself. You know, honestly, I was thinking about this during the first service. I literally just thought, I'm going to go to college because, you know, like, I'm going to do that. But I'm just going to graduate and get married. I'm going to be a young mom. Maybe I'll be a pastor's wife. That's like what I thought. That, like, I want to be in ministry. That's what I'll do. And so I just had this plan of, like, how, how my life was going to go. And as I approached 25 and 28 and I was still single, I was like, okay, Lord, okay. All my friends are married on their first kid. Things are getting a little tight here. I just, you know, like how, how we do it. Where, where are things going? And, and I remember just as, as the years went by, just that feeling of like, oh, well, what's going to happen? Like, is this how it's going to be? And it was almost, you know, in West Michigan, there's a certain level of of culture in West Michigan, I I kind of compare it to like dog years. You know, when you say your dog is this old in dog years versus human years. In West Michigan, when you're single, if you're 28 in any other part of the world, it's fine. In West Michigan, you're already 80, and it's like done for you. Like it's like people would be like, "Why aren't you married?" I'm like, I don't know. When if, if you if you like, let me know when you find out. Right? It was like a whole. I mean, it was a really defining experience for me and that season of my life. And there came a point where I really had to go through this process in myself of of being able to say to the Lord, Lord, if I never get married, if I never have a family, if this never happens for me, okay. And that was so hard to do because I felt like if I say yes to Jesus amidst this my life going away, I don't want it to go. Like then who's going to fight for me? Who's gonna fight for what I need? Who's gonna make sure I'm okay? This is this this is who I know I am. And if I say yes to Jesus about this, I'm gonna have to lay down my right to be happy or to have my life in the way that I want it to go. And that was really, really hard to do. But but I had to, I had to walk through some surrender. And I had to say no to some expectations and ideals that I had created or timelines I had created in order to say yes to Jesus. And, and the cost of my yes was that, was that surrender. And then I didn't know what was coming. But when I did get married, when I, you know, when I was thirty, then I had to walk through the season of wow. I had a lot of time to think and plan and expect how things were going to go, and I had a lot of plans about how marriage was going to be, and it is not all going the way I thought. And so, what do we do with that, right? So then, I then I went to the Lord, and and Lord, like man, this is harder. Like this is a requ- requiring a dying to self. This is this is a requiring um, a process that that we are going through together. That I just did not expect. This is this is what it was going to look like. And I had to learn that marriage was more about holiness than happiness. That's not a term I created. I think, I think that was maybe Tim Keller, but that was something that, that we had to walk through. And I had to say no to some of my expectations in order to say yes to Jesus. And then again, when we moved here, um, you know, we had been a part of a community of a church. We had we had done life. I had been a part of that church for 15 years. It was my dream job. I was pastoring. We knew people. We were on a very specific track of how our life was gonna go. It made sense. It was working. We thought it, you know, it was it was going fine. We were gonna go here financially, and we were gonna go here with our kids, and we were gonna do this, and and it was all gonna happen next after next, and it was comfortable and safe and secure. And then through a series of very painful experiences, the Lord made it clear that that was not the place that he had for us and he was calling us somewhere new. And I really did have to walk through this feeling of leaving everything I knew, leaving my security and safety and comfort behind so I could say yes to Jesus. In this this season that would be so unknown and full of so much change and so much transition and so much new, so much that we didn't have a roadmap for. But we were gonna move here and come to Elgin and move our family here and launch a campus and, and get to know all of you. We're going to do this together. And I just I say that to say, I, I know obviously your life is different than mine. But I think all of us have areas of surrender, of expectations, of safety and security and, and being comfortable. We all have things that we may need to say no to so we can say yes to Jesus and that's not just going to be a one-time occurrence. It's going to be a lifetime, a journey of walking through our yes. And in each of those moments, we're going to feel the cost. We're going to feel the difficulty of surrender. We're going to feel the difficulty and the resisting of expectations. We're going to feel the unknown and, the, and just the fear of, of, of something new and of all that change. But it is a lifetime of yes after yes after yes to Jesus. At your word, Jesus. At your word, at your word. No, I don't think so. No, at your word, at your word, Jesus. I think at the root of the cost of our yes to him is fear. It's fear. It's, well, who's going who's, who's gonna to take care of me? Well, who's going to make sure I get what I need? Well, who's going to make sure I get what I want? Who's going to make sure I get I, I, things go the way they need to go? Well, what if I put myself out there and I'm left hanging? Well, what, what if I'm what if I'm alone? Well, what if that doesn't work out? Well, what if I don't get to where I need to be? What if there's no roadmap? What if there's no navigation system? What what if there's what if there's no way to that place? There's there's so much fear, and I think and I think even if we if we peeled on the layer of that fear, the next level of that is we think we know best. We think we know best, but I know how that should go. And I know how that should end. And I know what I need and I know how to be safe and I know how to be secure and I know what it means to follow Jesus. And I know what I think this journey was going to look like. I know best. And that honestly, the yes is saying no to I know best no to the I know best, at your word, which is exactly what Peter did, at your word, Jesus. No, that's not how we do things in this boat, but at your word, Jesus, at your word. I think obedience and faithfulness is the key to our yes, when things don't make sense. There's going to be no plan. There's going to be no roadmap. There's going to be things that would be easier to not do. There's going to be things that we are asked to do with no logic or we're asked to go in a different direction. There's going to be things that people say we're crazy for. I mean, can you imagine what people thought about the, the fishermen when they left to follow Jesus? What are they doing? That is cra- That's not what we do. That is crazy. They're going to leave all that resource. They're going to leave all that investment and just, just go follow Jesus. But no matter the cost of your yes, there still is Jesus. There's this beautiful story in John 21 that sort of mirrors this experience that happens in Luke five. And in John 21, this is after Jesus has died and resurrected, but the disciples have not all seen him yet. Peter hasn't seen him yet. And Peter has gone back to fishing because when Jesus died, like what was the point of following Jesus anymore? He went back to fishing. And and John 21 talks about how there's this man that approaches the shore as the fishermen are out on the boat. They've been up all night and they have nothing to show for it. They have empty nets. And this man from the shore calls out to the fishermen and says, "Throw in your net one more time." And so they do it. And the text says that Peter goes to pull pull up the net and it is full of fish. It is it is abundance. It is overflowing. And in that moment, something clicks in Peter and he's like, "It's the Lord." The man on the shore is the Lord. It is Jesus. And he gets out of the boat and puts on his robe and he goes and he runs to Jesus and there's nothing that can stop him from Jesus because the only antidote to our fear is the promise of Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that can change the atmosphere. Jesus is the only thing that can bring something from nothing. Jesus is the thing that brings abundance and no matter what our cost, the things that we have to say no to, whatever we think is our best, Jesus is there over and over over and over again, inviting us into a bigger and a better story. Jesus, the Jesus that we sang about, that Jesus, he is inviting you into a bigger story. You know, there are going to be times when he's going to ask you to throw in your net in a way that doesn't make sense. There are times, maybe even now, where you've been up all night with nothing to show for it, just Empty after empty after empty after empty. There are going to be times where you are maybe in a place of failure, where you are just in, in a place of, of, um, of just you're stuck. Like you can't make something from nothing. There are going to be things that God asks you to do that don't make sense, that aren't logical, that, that people think you may be crazy for. There are going to be times where we have to say yes over and over and over again. And I wonder what the Lord is asking of you today. I wonder if there's something that you know that he's asked you to do that you're just not sure if you have it in you. Or you don't know if it's going to make you too vulnerable. Or you don't know if you do that, you might get hurt. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's a step of forgiveness. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something with your future. Maybe it's taking a risk or a detour in a new way. Maybe it's letting go of a dream. Maybe it's embracing the waiting period. Maybe it's committing to something that you're afraid of. But there is something that the Lord has asked you to do. And I wonder if we can just together as a community name and normalize being afraid. The stuff that gets in the way that I know best or that I'm not good enough or this isn't how it should go, I wonder if this week as a community, we can name our fear. We can name that this is hard. We can name the cost together. We We can identify the thing that God is asking us to do and we can name how we feel about it and what's in the way. And then we can practice together saying, at your word, Jesus. At your word, Jesus. At your word. Because wherever you are this morning, wherever it is that you've been up all night and your nets are empty, wherever it is that that you are experiencing emptiness or nothing to show for, wherever it is that you're experiencing fear, Jesus is coming into your boat. He's sitting down next to you. He's getting into your world. He is coming to, to gain proximity to you. And he is saying, put in your net one more time. Say yes one more time. Do the next right thing one more time. Try me one more time, just one more time. I know, I know it's not working. I know you're frustrated. I know you're disappointed. I know this doesn't make sense. I know this is risky. I know you could look bad if it doesn't work out. But put your net in one more time, one more time, one more time. Because the Jesus that's in the boat with you in this, this morning, the, the Jesus that's gonna come into your world, into your home, into your room, into your car, into your workplace, into your family, That is the Jesus that we sang about today. That is the Jesus who parts the sea. That is the Jesus who raises dead to life. That is the Jesus who heals and frees and restores and redeems. That is the same Jesus who wants to be in your boat and get in your world and ask you to follow him. And at the end of the day, I'm not gonna promise you that it's gonna go exactly as you planned or that the end result is gonna be a package with a bow tied neatly on top but I will promise you that out of your yes, there may be a cost, but when you say no to the I know best and you say yes to Jesus, he will give you his best. He will give you his best and his best. His best is more than you could ever hope or imagine. His best has to do with everything that Jesus represents, everything that he is about. His best begins with a story that, that is unending, that, that has already done the work, that the victory is already won. That is his best for you and you have the opportunity to step in to the new kingdom, to the work of Jesus. And it's for you this morning, right there in your boat, in your world, in whatever you're experiencing. And I know, I know that as we as we come to the Lord and we ask him to just connect to our hearts to connect to that place of our yes that he'll be so faithful and he'll be good and 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 it'll be it'll be right. And I believe that God wants to meet you in that moment this morning as difficult and as painful and as costly as it is. He's there waiting for you in your boat. Let's pray. Father, we, we just recognize um, just the beauty of, of who you are, the capacity of what, what you represent, of what you invite us into. I pray this morning that these wouldn't just be words or experiences, but that this, these words and these truths would connect to our real life. I pray in this moment that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would connect to the hearts of your people, that you would help us to see the places where you are asking for a yes, that you would help us to see the places that we think we know best, that you would help us to see the places where we are afraid, that you would help us to identify the areas of just being up all night with nothing to show for it, and that you and your power and in your grace and in your love would just make a way that you would make a way for our yes, that you would come and be close to us, that you would show us what it looks like to step in. God, I I pray that you would remind us of our yes. I pray that you would remind us of the time that we saw you demonstrate your power in our life and it changed us. I pray you would remind us of the time that we saw you as Lord and that you would call us back into your yes over and over and over again. I pray for those of us who have yet to say yes to you for the first time. I pray that you would create a space and opportunity, even if it's here today after the service, come find me or Pastor Leonard, but God, that that you would plant a seed of yes in each of us, and that your Holy Spirit would move us forward, would give us what we need to take that next step of response to you. We pray your spirit and your power all over this morning and all over this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me as we get ready to close out this morning? I love, I love this church for a city. It's good to be together. As we head out into this week, I just pray that you'd reflect on what you heard this morning and just reflect on what the Lord is doing in your heart. We're going to put up that last slide, Linda. So here is your assignment this week. We're going to read Luke 3 together. Follow on social if you need a little encouragement. Read chapter 3 and find someone and talk about it with them. We love you guys, grace and peace to you. Have an amazing week and we'll see you again next Sunday.